Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is Blue Jackets Dedicated Podcast via The Athletic. Aaron Portside with you on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon in Columbus, Ohio. We've got a great guest today to chat about the Blue Jackets' um, bright future. We're going to, of course, have room in the conversation for some talk about this miserable season that's going on right now. But Scott Wheeler is our guest, NHL prospects guru for the athletic. Um, Scott was at the World Juniors, knows all about the the uh, current crop of Blue Jackets prospects, as well as the 2023 uh, draft class. We can talk about, I, I think I'd like to keep it, uh, we're going to talk Connor Bedard. You have to talk Connor Bedard, especially if you're uh, in the Blue Jackets situation right now. Uh, but let's talk mostly about the Blue Jackets prospects, uh, the guys that are already in the fold. There's plenty to talk about there. Um, David Yerichek, Stanislav Svazel, and Martin Rysavi were just part of a Czech Republic team that played very well at the World Junior Championships in Halifax and Moncton and had, had great performances um, up there for, for Team Czechia. Uh, so we can talk to Scott about that. We will for sure. Um, please, if you have a question, step up to the stage or by all means uh, post your question in uh, text format. Got one in there right now. Um, first, let me get to some news and notes uh, from the rink today. Um, kind of a quiet day. No full practice, kind of an optional. Well, it wasn't optional. Some guys worked out. Some guys skated. Um, but there was not really a full team practice. Uh, I went uh, down to talk to Brad Larson and to talk to uh, Johnny Gaudreau because to me, the fact that they lost last night in, in Tampa was not a shocker. The fact that Johnny Gaudreau played only 14 and a half minutes last night was to me uh, noteworthy. Not a big deal, not the end of the world, but it says something when Johnny Gaudreau, who's been such a good player for them, and obviously was such a big off-season signing, uh, he had he's uh, fallen on hard times too, and he's in, he's he's healthy, he's not injured, so that that's one good thing. But played 14 and a half minutes, no shots on goal. Uh, he's not playing great. He owned it. He was great. He has no beef here at all with the minutes he played last night. Knows he can be better. Is sure that he will be better. Uh, said all the right things and seemed genuine about it. So um, that was good. Asked about why uh, why I, I didn't ask the question, but it was asked. Uh, Karel Marchenko, how can a player who had a hat trick just a couple of games ago now be so challenged to find ice time at all? He he played very little last night. Played 13-13 um, for a team that's not scoring a ton. So what is that about? And, and Brad Larson just stressed patience. This is this is about developing a player the right way, putting him in the right situations consistently, and not stressing his game early in his career. Um, so let's see. You got a couple news and notes. If you have, have a question, now's the time. Uh, step up on stage. Try to get to you. Uh, try to get to everybody if we can. We'll probably go half hour, forty five minutes here. Um, We'll get to, to Scott here in a second. Asked a um, big injury in the back end, not just Borensky, but now Vladislav Gavrikov 
uh, missed last night's game with a thumb injury. Um, it's he's getting better. Uh, it's not clear if he's going to be able to play tomorrow against Carolina or not. And that is, boy, it's hard for them to play without um, without Gavrikov. I mean, obviously, Wierenski's a huge hit. You don't have both of those guys back there, my God. Those are really the only top four guys in the organization right now, at least at the NHL level. Um, so now taking both out of the equation, that's going to make for some long, long nights. Um, so trying to think if there's anything else we need to get to. It looks like Blankenberg will be back very soon, if not Thursday, and probably Saturday in Detroit. I believe Saturday Detroit has been his target all along. Um, and Jenner's probably still a little while, a little while away, a couple of weeks to go from a broken thumb. Don't know what's up with Gavrikov. Again, his his injury is sort of seen as day to day. So. Um, that's that's what's kind of going on with this club right now. The Blue Jackets amateur scouts are in Florida having their uh, amateur meetings, also having pro meetings. They do this during the at uh, the midpoint of the season. As I've always noted, it's weird that the meetings are always in Florida, never in, say, Winnipeg. Um, but uh, they're down there. The whole hockey, hockey operations group is down there. Right now, setting up the course for the rest of the, the offseason. Um, so there we have it. And let's get to uh, Scott Wheeler here in a second. I'll have Scott step up to the stage. We'll bring him in and um, ask him about the Blue Jackets check prospects and the prospects of young Mr. Connor Bedard. Uh, Scott Wheeler, are you there? Scott Wheeler. I am here. Do you guys have me all right? I got you, man. Thank you. How are you doing? Beautiful. I'm doing well. This is uh, kind of my my witching hour. This month is everybody always assumes that the draft and the lead up to the draft is the sort of busiest month of my year. But really, it's right now because of these prospect pool rankings and the world juniors. And I got to go out to Plymouth and and Vancouver in the next couple of weeks for the top prospect schemes in the middle of that and trying to get all of the the rankings done. So it's... uh, January is always a, a tough one for me. It's kind of 30, 40 straight days of work, and then I'll get a I'll get a breather in February and March. Love it. Well, I love it. You know, if you're a Blue Jackets fan right now, Scott Wheeler, your work, Corey Promen's work, absolutely invaluable because the one thing that can keep you a little bit warm in a winter like this is the future. Uh, <laughs> about those Czech prospects, yeah, uh, just just on the whole, I I went into this tournament thinking that Czechia was one of those teams that was given a, a solid shot, but maybe overperformed a little bit. They had a great tournament uh, for them. Did did they surprise you in any way on the whole as a team? Uh, maybe maybe on day one, uh, I was a little worried about Ben Godro starting for Canada, and I I did feel going into that game like if there was an upset that was going to happen, it was probably going to be in Canada's first game. Uh, ben is a goalie who was was the goalie for Hockey Canada at U18 Worlds a couple of years ago when they won in Texas, and I think they just wanted it so badly to be him again, uh, yeah. even though he's really struggled ever since then. So uh, from there, I mean that was a statement game, and from there it was like okay, they've got. 
arguably the best defenseman in the tournament and David Yurichek. They've got arguably the best goalie in the tournament and Thomas Sukanik. They've got one of the best forwards in the tournament and Yuri Kulich and, and their depth guys, including the other two blue jackets. And Zvozil is hardly a depth guy in that context, but uh, right. they, they looked good. They were, they were deep. They were big. Uh, really the only team that played with the, uh, the same sort of weight class of Canada in terms of their size. So, uh, they were they were a legit team. That third line of theirs with with Jakub Rabinich and uh, Gabriel Struch and um, they were really good. The top line with Yuri Kulich was good, and then they had four five defensemen playing some of the best hockey that they've played in their young careers. So it all kind of kind of came together for them. You know what, I, what? What thought occurred to me a few times watching them play and watching. Slovakia play is it wasn't too long ago that those young players would all have been on the same team. Yeah. That team would have been a monster if you put those two rosters together. Holy smokes. And and really next year, I think the Czechs are going to take a step back, but next year the the Slovaks should still be a competitive a very competitive team, even if they don't get Simon Nemec back, which I don't think they will. So yeah. uh, this is a this this sort of two thousand and three to two thousand and five era for them has been really great. good. And it's it's great for the game too, because it follows uh, a sort of two thousand to two thousand and two era for the Germans, right? Where they had yeah. JJ Paterka and Moritz Sider and Tim Stutzla. And there has been this wave of non sort of superpowers coming through and having a little bit of a moment. So uh, it's nice to see them back because there was so much talk for so long over the last two or so decades of both of those countries, Czechia and Slovakia, uh sort of having some tough goes of it in terms of developing talent. So it feels like we're we're rounding the corner with both of them again, which is nice and, and well, good for the game. Yeah, for sure. Very strange. The Blue Jackets used to draft checks quite a bit, and then they went like an eight, ten year stretch with I think I'd have to go I think Rysavi might be the first check that that Yarmo drafted, and he's been here almost ten years. Yeah. Uh, which speaks to the real dip that that country's hockey development went through. Let's get to the guys that are at the sort of at the top of the feeding order. Certainly uh, with Blue Jackets um, draft picks, David Yurichek, you mentioned, had an incredible, incredible tournament. Mm-hmm. He has, by all accounts, had a really, really strong development year. He's playing for the Blue Jackets AHL club in Cleveland. And it was just today named an AHL All-Star. Um, I get the sense from, and I've not, I've not watched him play this year outside of the NHL or outside of training camp. But from people who have followed his sort of progression, he would be one of them, that he's really taken a very large stride forward. And that was evident in the World Juniors. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get to Zvozil, I'm sure. But Juracek was, uh, I feel like they almost kind of went in opposite directions in the tournament. Juracek had a bit of a slow start, despite them upsetting Canada on Boxing Day. I didn't think that was the best that they were going to get from him. And as it turned out, his best was in the games that really, really mattered later in the tournament, in the quarters and in the semis in particular, where he just almost willed them, uh, willed them to victories. So uh, I thought he was great. The, the big thing with David is just the, the skating piece. He likes to move around, especially with the puck a lot out there. He likes to skate the puck. He'll yeah. for, for a player who's as big as he is, you'll see him rotating around the offensive zone with the puck on his stick a lot. Uh, but the the skating can look a little stilted and sloppy and kind of sluggish at times, one on one defensively, and when he has to turn and pivot or there's a player with a lot of speed coming at him, that's really the only place in his game that I think a, a, a survey of scouts would say that he struggles. Otherwise, it's 
it's really all there. He plays with a ton of confidence. He play, he's a very aggressive player offensively and defensively. The, the big, big shot, I mean, goes without saying. He's going to pound some in in the NHL with the best of them that way as well. Um, so there's a there's a, a very, very interesting player there. And I, I think you'll see him be, at, in the prime of his career, be a very bold sort of commanding presence out there. Yeah, that's that's uh, interesting. Esposal had, as you mentioned, a ton of points early. And the points kind of disappeared. I'm, sure, I'm curious what his game did he is of course really a teammate of Connor Bedard's and had a, they had a touching moment at the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of tournament did he have, and and where is his development from? Maybe a guy that people saw as kind of an outside NHL type guy. I get the sense people think he he might have a chance to play now. Yeah, definitely. And this tournament was a, a sort of statement for that for sure. But he has been tremendous for that Regina team. Uh, I yeah. think people forget that despite. Bedard's presence on that team, they are they are not a very good team. Right. Uh, it's really the Bedard and Zvozil show on most nights. And he has really risen to the challenge, playing big minutes, all situations, controlling the game offensively. He was always a star prospect. It's funny that he's kind of he kind of fell into that sort of B-grade prospect conversation for the last few years because coming up. 14, 15, 16 years old, he was the guy. He was the guy who was going to be the first round pick out of Chechia in that draft class. And uh, he was the name that you kept hearing about. And then he he just didn't really take the steps that he was probably hoping to domestically. Then he comes over here and there's an adjustment process in the WHL. And he was a good WHL player right from the beginning, but it took him some time to truly become one of the best defensemen in junior hockey, which I would say he is right now. Um, and, and now that he's there, he sort of suddenly looks like the kind of guy who could be, a maybe not a clear top four guy, but maybe kind of a number four, number five, slightly better than that, that sort of third pairing guy, if you will. And, uh, every team needs those guys. Every team needs that, that $3 million defenseman, right? So, um, I don't think he's going to be a star, but if he can be sort of an everyday guy who can contribute at both ends and help out on the second power play if they need him, uh, that's a that's a good outcome from where they drafted him. How much do you think? And you've seen Regina play; the two of them play together, Svazel and and Bedard. How much does a guy like Bedard help a player like Svazel, just in terms of thinking the game? I, I get the sense Bedard forces everybody around him to sort of think the game at a faster pace than maybe they would otherwise. Definitely. And I think he encourages everybody to play freely. Uh, you get to be a little bit more creative when you're out there with him because you need yeah. to find ways to get him the puck that isn't just advancing it up ice with an outlet pass. So uh, they're, they're, everybody's always looking for him out there. There's a level of creativity that is inherent in that and trying to to facilitate to him and get, and get Connor Bedard. I'm sure the coaching staff is harping on make it happen, get get him the puck, right? Any means necessary, get him the puck. And yeah. so uh, he, you'll see him at that level. He he skates a lot, uh, a lot like Juracek does, in, but in a very different way, just in terms of attacking off the line, advancing the puck, joining the rush. Um, he, he's a very involved player, a lot of puck touches, uh, challenges guys defensively uh, in terms of neutral ice, stepping up on guys to try to, create takeaways so that he can uh, quickly go the other way with Connor, all of that. They're, they're trying to play quick defense on that team. And uh, he's really, really embraced that. Yeah, that's awesome. And in the third check, I sh- he's not, shouldn't have to be the third, but he's kind of the guy that's been a little bit under the radar uh, when held in the same light as Fossil and, and your check, but Martin Rice, a forward 
I think probably seen as a as a depth NHL forward if things go very well. Um, yeah, a little bit of size there, not a lot of offensive spark, but he has he played some some interesting minutes and and some big minutes for Czech and scored a goal uh, late in the tournament for them. What does Martin Rice have you do to you? And is there anything special about his game that jumps off the page? Well, I think at this level, he's just the perfect sort of bottom six player on a talented team in a tournament like the World Juniors, where yeah. he just has that that heaviness that teams covet. He's over 200 pounds, and at this level, that positions him as a very sort of difficult player to get a handle on and to push off pucks. So that that was his game in the tournament. That's really his game everywhere. Um, he, he likes to sort of control the puck along the boards on the cycle and uh, make those plays off the wall to, to his talented line mates or whoever he's playing with to try to get the, get pucks to them. He's the puck retrieval guy. He's good in front of the net. He does a lot of the things that you'd expect out of a sort of six foot three, six foot four forward who's, who's got that heaviness. The funny thing about Rice Abbey is, is that he's actually, He's never been a super sort of powerful physical player. He's not the the power forward. He doesn't sort of drive the net with that that reckless abandon that you'd maybe want him to with the with his size advantage at that level. Yeah. Uh, he's he's not a guy who who plays a super physical style and is out there sort of bumping off of people and, and right. playing the game that way. Uh, I'm really not sure what he's going to be. I think he's probably got the makings of, of the kind of player who could be a good depth player in the AHL. Um, I'm just not quite convinced that he's got sort of what it takes to to take it a step beyond that, just in terms of the skill level. If you're not a, a skill player at lower levels and he, he isn't uh, yeah. even on, even on a moose jaw team that could really use some secondary scoring behind a couple of stars there. Um, he, he just hasn't really grabbed it offensively, but uh, in terms of this level, the World Juniors, et cetera, he's, uh, he's always been a, a good role player. It's always fascinating to me how those guys will or won't define themselves as they, as they move along. And it, it's, it's, always, it's fascinating to me, too, how what organization they're in, what that organization needs are can sometimes drive uh, that one way or the other. And it may, be yep. for, it may be for the better of that player or not. Um, but yeah, he's, he's kind of nondescript right now is the sense that I get, but speaking to the blue jackets about him, they, they don't see the offensive touch there that, that suggests much more than a fourth liner. Mm. But I, I think they also feel like, like we still have a lot to learn about his game at the pro. So we'll see. Yep. Um, so Scott, against my better judgment, I'm heading to Moose Jaw in Regina later this month. Um, I'm joking about that just because <laughs> of the weather. I actually can't wait to see those cities i've never been to saskatchewan before oh really yeah um what am i getting into and what do i need to know Regina. i've i've only been in moose jaw briefly uh and it's a it's a prairie town that's the best way Love i it. can put it yeah. uh regina obviously more substance regina is a much bigger city sure uh regina has a bit of a city feel to it uh but uh, in the in the sort of rundown way that that sort of the middle of this country can feel at times. Yep. Um, and a great pizza in Regina. That's what really? I would say. Great. Oh yeah. The, the, the prairies have excellent deep dish pizza. It's kind of their, their thing in terms of cuisine in the country. So I would definitely recommend you grab a, a deep dish pizza while you're there. Uh, they stole that. 
yeah, they stole that from uh, from the good people of Chicago, I think, but um, yeah. uh, or or Detroit, I should say. Um, <laughs> and other than that, I mean, there's not much to either of those. But I think, uh, knowing you, I think you'll enjoy you'll enjoy Regina in particular. Regina is a good sort of good farm town slash city yeah. that has has made its own way. Yeah, I mean, I great I great sports town have- too. If you can have fun somewhere, I think that says more about you than where you are. Agreed. That's me. That's me. Uh, any pizza place in particular I should be looking for? I'm writing this down. No, I've only been to Regina twice as an adult, and they were both Fantastic. four or five years ago. So the, the names would escape me, but you'll have no trouble finding it. Plus, you don't do endorsements without getting cash on the side, do you? <laughs> yeah. I know how this works. Um, so we got to talk about them because it's. It's the dream of of the Blue Jackets. It's the gift. It's the reward for this miserable season, which is still not halfway over. And in fact, the huh, they decided today to add the postponed Buffalo Sabres Blue Jackets game from December 27th onto the end of the season. So this wonderful season that the Blue Jackets are enduring is now a day longer. April 14th, that game will be played. The Blue Jackets hope. Scott Wheeler. We're, we're talking to Scott Wheeler of the Athletic here, NHL prospects guru. Um, that the that the reward for all of this will be none other than Connor Bedard. I don't, yeah. I can't expect you to predict where Bedard is going to go. The numbers of the lottery balls will decide that. Um, you've done this for a number of years. Tell me what sets Bedard apart, and who does he remind you of? If, of anyone that you have you have ranked or studied from a scouting perspective before? Well, just for context, this draft will be the 10th I've covered. 2014, the the William Nylander and company draft was the first draft that I covered on a full-time basis. And uh, 2023 will sort of mark a decade here. So it's it's putting a bow on on that timeline nicely. And just in terms of how exciting uh, this draft class is, this draft class is going to be going to be if not special then close it's as a draft class probably the second best draft that i've covered in those 10 uh behind 2015 uh and maybe uh capable of challenging it frankly uh great draft at forward even beyond bedard there are true stars that are going to emerge out of this draft at forward potentially half a dozen of them kind of thing um yeah, but bedard is he's he's singular it's i i've been asked this question about about a comparable um a number of times now and I always struggle to come up with one because there's yeah. just so much about his game that is different than players who play in the mold. We're used to the five foot nine, five foot ten types being the perimeter playmaking wingers, right? We're used to the the mold of of the Mitch Marnards and the Patrick Keynes. And he just doesn't look at all uh like those two guys. And then if you get past those two guys the, the players that in his size range that you're comparing him to, other than maybe a Braden Point, just aren't aren't very sort of high end players. The the true sort of guys that are in that weight class that have been drafted high are are really the Canes and the Marners, and certainly Braden Point has worked his way into that conversation. But he doesn't really feel like any of those. Um, the way he shoots it is there, there is no 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 player to compare it to. I've said before, but I'll say it again. If you were to put him on the ice with Nikita Kucherov, Patrick Laine, Alex DeBrinket, Steven Stamkos, uh, the best Austin Matthews, the best shooters in the game today, 
he can do things in terms of the way he loads his shot up, the way he pulls it into his feet, the power he gets off uh, from from terrible stances and off-balance stances uh, and shooting off of one foot. He can do things in that way that those guys just can't do. All of those guys have patterns to the way that they shoot. And mm. he certainly has a pattern to the way that he shoots. There's a predictability to it and that little subtle curl and drag that he does before he pops through it. Yeah. But yeah. there's the, he doesn't pull it back. So there's almost no cradling back into his stance that tells the goalie it's coming. Uh, and then there's always some sort of pre-shot adjustment that fools them. And then on top of that, he just has this unbelievable ability to shoot a foot off the ice and to just rip it sort of just over the pad. And it just makes it such a hard shot to stop when it's changing angles and it's hard and it's perfectly placed like that. So uh, that that's the, the true quality that everybody gets carried away with. But even beyond that, I think what impressed most scouts in his World Juniors performance and what has impressed most scouts in his play with very little talent around him in Regina over the last couple of years is a, how competitive he is. Mm. Um, he, he is, he does not back down from a fight. He has developed a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He finishes all of his checks. You see him off the ice, his lower body, his legs. He's a really, really strong, well-built kid, which will help him at his size, especially if he wants to stick at center, which I think is a real possibility. Yeah. And then beyond that, the playmaking ability, he can tunnel vision like all great shooters do for the shot, but he's forcing it much less nowadays than he used to. And as a result, his skill in terms of just opening up his plane of sight and facilitating to other players and using his shot threat as kind of bait to, to pull people in and then find guys on the weak side of coverage. That is what has really elevated his game is just his ability to involve other people and to put pucks into perfect scoring positions for others so that they can't always sort of front the shot. They can't always play for the shot. And as a result, he's just this unstoppable force out there. He's also one of the best skaters in the draft. Like you could go on and on. And I really think the only question that remains with him is, is he going to be a superstar on the wing or is he going to be a superstar at center? Um, and, and I've never felt that way about any player other than the, other than Connor McDavid, even when Austin Matthews was coming through and I watched him, my jaw wasn't on the floor. You knew that Matthews was going to be a great scorer and a great player and a dominant center in the NHL, but it was never like, Holy shit, this guy's different. This guy's otherworldly. And with, yeah. with, with, with Connor McDavid and, and Bedard, it does feel like that. They're the only two players that have ever sort of left me left me sort of wowed in that in that specific way. So uh, I, the the question is just center or wing at this point. I think that's the question that teams are are grappling with, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the NHL because it will have to slightly change at least the way that he plays if he sticks at center. Uh, but he's going to figure it out and he'll be a, he'll be a top end player in the NHL regardless. He seems to have that thing too, that McKinnon, Crosby, maybe McDavid, some of these guys have too, where it's just every fiber of his being, every ounce of his energy is put toward being a great hockey player. And there's just this insatiable drive yep. to get there. Uh, that's just the vibe that I get from him and his camp and the way he handles himself. Like, you know, I don't want to talk about myself anymore. I want to talk about this team. It's like, that sound, that's totally something Crosby would do. Yep. And, um, and there have been others along fine. the way who were like that. John Tavares was like that in yeah. his time yeah. coming up. Uh, but there have been others as well who've been in that 
who've been in that spot and have said those same things where you're just not quite sure. Like even Alexi Lafreniere a few years ago, it just felt like Alexi maybe wasn't quite ready for the moment and the challenge and the stage and the pressure and all of that. And with Connor, and it's a tricky thing to describe. Maybe you're talking out the side of your mouth when you're trying to play that game of you can just feel it, right? But it's hard to really know. Uh, but it, it does feel different. He, this is, I, everybody always says, oh, they said the same things about Jack Hughes and, and Alexi Lafreniere and Nico Hishi. And, and no, they didn't. Those, those players did great things. Alexi on one ankle and a bad knee had a, had a tremendous world juniors. No question, but it was, it, it, it definitely is different. There's something different about Bedard that's going to take him to a, a different stratosphere than those guys. And that's saying yeah. a lot considering. We just we just saw this week that he uh, Jack Hughes hit his hundredth point in his last eighty two games. So um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I think Connor is going to be a, a top ten talent in the league. Okay, that settles it. All they have to do is win the lottery now. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. Eh? What yeah. is it? Eight eighteen percent now, or it's with the new close. odds? Yeah, the worst team will have a twenty twenty five point five if you factor the twelve through sixteen in there. They can't win it. Right, and then. The next team is 13.5. Right now, Columbus would have a 13.5 yeah. percent chance. And that's really no way to go through life, an 86.5 <laughs> chance of something not happening. But uh, we'll see. They've never had luck in the NHL lottery. The Columbus hasn't. They've they've uh, never won the number one overall draft pick. They traded up to get Rick Nash, but it's never really worked out for them via the ping pong balls. Um, Scott, let's go to some questions if we can. Uh, Etienne R asks, do we think David Yurichek can be a solid number one for the Jackets in the future? I think he's always going to have uh, some warts to his game. I think it'll be difficult for him to become the true sort of top 10 defenseman Norris conversation level D in the league. Mm-hmm. But I think there are several, there are, there are what, after those guys, there's still a dozen or two dozen quote unquote number one defensemen in the league who we maybe don't perceive as number one. I think there are, there are more players in the league who are number one defensemen according to their coaches than there are number one defensemen according to the fans. I don't think fans would, I don't think fans would say that there are 32 number one defensemen in the league. Right. So um, I think he can be in that, that tier, Uh, a, a top end defenseman on his team, the kind of guy who plays 24, 25 minutes a night, uh, I don't think, though, uh, at his ceiling that he's going to be that sort of wart-free star who you just know is one of the best players in the league. Like, he's not going to be a McAvoy or a Fox or a McCarr level um, or a Hedman, et cetera. Uh, but if he can be that that echelon slightly below, I think that's a really good outcome. Yeah. Um, this question from Caleb, who's quite excited that you're – in the house, Scott, he says, do you believe the Blue Jackets have a prospect who can eventually become a top four defenseman similar to Gavrikov if management does decide to move him before the deadline? Is, is that prospect someone you see coming next year or still a few years out? So we're talking among their prospects. Scott, you obviously know this, but just a refresher for people out there that their top D prospects would be, of course, your check. We mentioned him and Sfazel. Um, Denton Matichuk currently playing in Moose Jaw. Yep. Uh, and um, who else am I missing? Corson Kuhlman oh, would probably Corson, be the other one. Corson Kuhlman, who's in Wisconsin right now, a sophomore. Yeah. 
uh, likely to turn pro after this season, but we'll see. Where are those guys at sort of in their development and their NHL uh, arrival, if you if you can look ahead? Well, I think a best case scenario for those four, you'd have Yurichek as that 1B slash number two that I talked about. Uh, yep. You'd have Matejchuk as a 2-3 guy. I, I really, we haven't talked about him, but I really think the world of Denton, I was a big, big fan of that pick. Uh, I thought he had a strong case to be on this Canadian World Junior team. He should be the number one or number two defenseman, along with Kevin Korczynski on next year's World Junior team. Um, I expect him to play a big, big role for Canada and Sweden next year. Power play, all of that. He's a very underrated defender. Uh, I think you'll learn that when you talk to the staff in, in Moose Jaw about him. But he, they think the world of him in terms of all three zones, all four corners, competitor, sort of two-way type. He's not the biggest guy, but uh, he's really impressed them with with how well-rounded he is uh, on top of how active he obviously is always on on offense. Um, so I really like Matejchuk. I think both those guys are going to be impact guys, the kind of guys who make five to eight million dollars a year kind of thing. Uh, and then after them, Coolmans, you'd hope he becomes just an everyday guy. Coolmans has some warts and plays at a weird program at Wisconsin. They've got a lot of work to do to rebuild that program at Wisconsin. And as a result, he just gets to go out there and run around and play a super aggressive game and uh, try to make things happen. There's not a yeah. ton of structure. There's not a ton of talent there. So it's hard to get a real read on where Coolmans is at because he looks like a dominant player at that level on that team. Uh, but they're also a team that doesn't have much around him. So it, I think that can play tricks on you at times. But I, I've, I've got a lot of time for Corson. A big shot, really strong, athletic kid. Uh, plays a little bit too much on instinct. I think he needs to slow it down and think a little bit more at times. But uh, just a very raw, talented, athletic kid who's who's got a real shot to become an NHLer. Uh, and then Zvozil, I think, could become a nice story as as kind of a depth guy. So I don't know how that answers in terms of the immediacy of Gavrikov and and sort of the style of play of Gavrikov. But I think if you can get two top four guys and and two sort of four, five, six guys uh, out of that group, that's a huge outcome. And and even if only three of those guys reach their potential, that's still a, a huge part of whatever comes next for the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how I don't know. I don't think there's been a time in this organization where so many of their top prospects have been on D. This is kind of a new they they've always sort of struggled on the blue line until probably 10 years ago. They just built it up at the NHL level. The Wierenski draft pick, of course, was one. Yep, they went right to the NHL. But then Jones, uh, the trade sort of really up their blue line. This is the most they've really put a concerted effort into drafting their way into a blue line. So we'll see how it goes. Kevin Z says, if we don't land the number one overall pick, what kind of players do you think Fantilli and Carlson project to be? And is Michkov good enough to make a team consider passing on one of those top centers for a winger, even if he might take longer to get here? Oh, it's a good question. That's the million-dollar question that all of the teams in that two to five range are going to be asking themselves about Michkov relative to those other two kids. Um, I think I think you can't lose with any of those four. Uh, Michkov is, is just starting to heat up and really figure it out in the KHL. He's now got, I think he's got five points in eight games in the KHL since making the move away from SKA. Um, there, there were some questions about why he made that move. It sounds like he actually kind of forced his way out of the organization. And there are some scouts who are kind of apprehensive about how that went down and why yeah. he left. And, 
he also battled an injury at, after suffering an injury in, a, in, in exhibition uh, before the season even started. So it's been a bit of a weird year for Michkov, but his statistical profile suggests and, and the way that he scores suggests that he's uh, probably the best Russian prospect since Ovechkin. Uh, wow. Certainly have, certainly Svechnikov is, is probably the closest. There hasn't been a ton of sort of high Russian picks in the last 15 years, but Svechnikov's become an excellent, excellent player in Carolina, as we all know. Uh, but he's, uh, he's a better prospect at this stage than, than Svechnikov was. So, um, a really special player, uh, smaller and not a great skater. And that always produces questions, but he's so good at everything else and so talented that I think he's going to score a lot of goals in the NHL and be a, a, an impact player once he finally gets over here. Uh, but I do think that just in talking to teams that most teams are, are leaning towards the, the Fentilli Carlson route, um, over Michkov just because of Russia and Ukraine and, and his contract status in the KHL and, uh, some of the, the small question marks that have propped up about him this year. So, uh, in Fantilli, you've got a, a horse, right? He's, he's one of the best skaters in the draft, despite being six foot two, six foot three. Um, he can just fly around the ice and make things happen and he's skilled and he can shoot it and he can play make and, uh, I think sometimes he can, uh, he, the, the big criticism of his game is that he can often be a little, a little selfish. That was certainly the criticism in his Chicago and in his minor hockey days was that he can sort of try to do too much, try to manufacture too much for himself, uh, overhandle the puck, that kind of a thing. It was a criticism of him in Germany at U18 Worlds a year ago as well. And, uh, but he's he's really done a nice job of maturing. Uh, I think he showed a ton of maturity in the way that he handled his demotion to the fourth line and how effective he was as a fourth liner for Canada at this tournament. He's certainly shown a ton of maturity in the way that he has handled his historic season in the NCAA this year and um, how consistent he has been at that level and how his habits have, have sort of really cleaned up. Uh, so a lot of credit to him for really a historic season that he's had in his own right. Um, and then Carlson is a fascinating one. I've got, uh, we're going to run an A1 story at, at the athletic in a couple of weeks that I've been working on, on Carlson and just a, a very, very interesting kid that I think people are going to fall in love with and uh, a, a really special backstory. And uh, on top of that, he's, he's that six foot three center that, that every team wants as well. So uh, I think the big thing with Leo is that teams want him to play with a, a little bit more of a shooting intention out there. He's he tries to play make a little bit too much, uh, um, but I mean he's six foot three. He can skate. He's got incredible finesse on the puck. Uh, talented playmaker works his sort of ass off out there. Um, th- there's a there's a lot to like about both of those guys. I think both those guys have have the potential to become sort of impact top of the lineup centers. Um, Leo has only, I think it's worth noting though, Leo has only exclusively played the wing uh, with the Rebro in, in the SHL. So he has not played any center yet at the professional professional levels. Um, they, they feel more comfortable with him as he gets adjusted to the SHL, which is a very good league, playing him on the wing and yeah. letting him play a little bit more freely offensively that way. So uh, getting him back to the middle of the ice at that level, I think will be, uh, will take some time and be a bit of a work in progress. Whereas I think everybody expects that Fantilli is just going to sort of start there and, and be a center right from the jump. Yeah. Born to play in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Matichuk and how it was, Matichuk and how it was, it was a little, 
I don't know if it was a surprise, but the Blue Jackets were, I think, certainly hoping that he would get a look on Team Canada um, to stick for this World Juniors next year for sure. Um, another guy that, that was sort of among the last cuts, and it would have been a great story because he plays for Halifax, so it would have been, yeah, it would have been staying home as Jordan Dumay, yeah, uh, who the Blue Jackets drafted in the third round last year, and he's just had an expl- explosive year. Uh, for the Mooseheads, almost a goal a game, not a point a game. Uh, he's at 28 goals, 43 assists in just 33 games. Um, you know, sometimes numbers in the queue get a little wacky and you don't know what to believe, but he's, he is uh, still five foot nine. He has not exploded uh, in that way. So all of the things that were said about him last summer, I think in many ways still apply. But yeah. this is a, an incredibly talented kid who's having a great season uh, in the queue. What's his outlook? What what do you see are concerns with his game or strengths of his game, and and what's the NHL pass for him, path for him? Well, I think they'd be okay with me saying this now, but when I did my scout survey, uh, which I do in advance of every draft last year, uh, them among the the twenty or thirty or whatever respondents were were three. I think three people from from the Blue Jackets organization. And the question that I asked everybody last year was, who's who's the kid that if you're if you're not willing to name your name, who's the kid that you're that you're really you really really want? Who's the one kid under the radar that you hope is available for you yeah. in a certain round kind of thing? And to a man, they only one of them let me quote him in the in the piece, but the other two were sort of off the record. And to a man, they all said Jordan Dume. So I got texts sure. from those guys after the fact, and and they were just See? thrilled yeah. by the selection and. It looks looks darn good on them ever since. He's a, a very, very tricky player to project forward, and I think that's why he slipped, if only because despite this sort of otherworldly production, and he had, forget this year, even last year, one of the best non-Sydney Crosby QMJHL seasons in the last 20 years, right? right. So um, a truly, truly special season. Uh, and he's doing it again this year. He's the only player who comes anywhere close to Connor Bedard across the CHL in terms of production this year. Um, and it's been, it's been doing that while also being a hound on pucks and being a, a really good sort of interesting puck thief in terms of the way that he steals pucks and his work ethic off the puck and all of that. So the question with him is, is the size. He, he's, he's not just small, but he's, he's baby faced. He, his build yeah. has been a work in progress. I spoke to his strength and conditioning coaches in Montreal about him and it's even they admit like he, he doesn't look the part. Um, but then he just goes out there and he makes things happen and he's got this incredible wrist shot that he just sort of finds the net with. Um, he, he doesn't have power to his game or even a ton of speed to his game, but he just sort of maneuvers his way around the ice and manipulates people and makes all of these subtle little plays and the vision and the hands and the skill is, is tenfold. And then, uh, if he can just get a little bit stronger, uh, get a little sort of sturdier on his feet, a little bit quicker, I have no doubt in my mind. Uh, it, it is almost impossible for a player who's been as productive as he has. If you look back through the history books, uh, you can probably count them on one hand, kids that have scored like he has at this age, yeah. at that level, that haven't made it and not just made it, but become very good players. So I'm I'm fascinated by him. I can't wait to see what he does with it. Um 
And it's just been a ton of fun to watch because he just keeps going out there and, and doing it night after night after night. Uh, I think I, I looked the other night and he's got, uh, ever since he was cut by Canada, he's got 17 points on an eight game point streak. He's scored, he's scored in like six of the eight games since he was cut by Canada. Like it's just, it just doesn't seem to stop. So as long as he keeps doing that, he's going to make things interesting. And by all accounts, I wasn't, this was the first year in a long time, four or five years that I haven't been in Traverse City, but by all accounts, he was tremendous in Traverse City. So um, yeah, he, he just seems to to figure it out and make plays out there. And I'll, I'll be interested to see whether he can become a, a top six playmaking power play type, type winger at the next level. You know who he reminds me of in all of those things that you described? And it took this player a little bit of time. In fact, the Blue Jackets had him and let him go. It was Jonathan Marcheseau, mm, yeah, who was didn't not he did not look the part. Not only was he, I mean, his stature, his his size, but the thickness. The he wasn't in great shape early, and yeah. the Blue Jackets say that's the one thing that's changed, or that changed from the time he left their organization, went to Tampa, went to Florida, uh, then to Vegas, uh, is that he. It really, he sort of grew out of some things and grew into some other things and put himself in, in better shape. But very similar size. Um, Marcia so never had quite the explosive production that Dumais has had yeah. in, in Halifax. Certainly he's going to blow past those numbers this year. Um, but it, sometimes it just, it, you got to be patient with these guys when they, when they hit the pro levels because it, it, and they have to too. Um, and the work continues when they turn pro. It's not, it's not the destination. It could be sort of the beginning of the trip. Um, and I would just, just quickly, I would add on the flip side of that, Blue Jackets fans have also seen Vitaly Abramov come and go, right? And certainly Vitaly, Vitaly was another player who, again, it wasn't the, the level of production that Dumais on pace for. Vitaly right. was a 100 point player versus a 130 point, 140 point player kind of thing. Um, but still, at his best, Vitaly Abramov was toying with junior hockey, and now he's playing in Europe and will never play in the NHL again, right? So yeah. it's it's a tricky game with guys at those size where I think there's probably an outcome where Vitaly Abramov could have become a, uh, in the right circumstances, could have become an NHL player, and it just never worked for, for him. Yeah. So uh, now they've got they've got to make sure that they get they get Jordan once he turns pro onto the right path. Yeah, yeah. It's, development is huge, so huge. Um, I'm going to try to bring in some some. I'm not sure if we have two people on stage at the same time, but or three people on stage because technically I'm there too. Uh, but we're going to try. So Scott, hang on there. Let me see if I can bring Dale B in and see if we can all talk together. Um, Dale, are you there? Oh, there we go. Dale B is with us. Dale, go ahead. You're with. Uh, oh, hey guys. That, that Scott was Wheeler. strange. Hey, hey Scott. Hey, appreciate it. Um, really enjoy your stuff. So thanks for being on. Um, I have a little bit of an abstract question here. I'm trying to prepare myself um, as a Blue Jackets fan of the worst outcome in the draft lottery. Um, if they end up falling out of the Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson um, uh, range, you know, did, would those guys be worth, not Bedard, but Fantilli, Carlson, would those guys be worth trying to trade up for even if the price was really high? Or are there other centers in the kind of five, six, seven range that would be worth um, taking a chance on? It's a good question. Um, I would say I'd probably sit tight and just take the chance. Uh, the, the first name that immediately comes to mind is Will Smith. 
Uh, Will, I think, was 10th on my sort of preliminary ranking, but I can tell you all that he'll be top five on on my upcoming midseason list that drops in early February. And Will is a special, special, special talent. And I've can probably count on one hand the number of players who are as shifty as him just in terms of the shakes and fakes and sending defenders the wrong way and buying space for himself and creating space for himself. He's this brilliant skater with the, 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 the eyes and the deception is just unbelievable. So um, you never really can sort of know where he's going. And he's got this in, unbelievable sort of sixth sense with the puck as a playmaker and as a shooter. And uh, I think Will is a tremendous, tremendous talent and could be a, an extremely high-end PP1 point-producing center in the NHL. So um, that would be that would be the consolation prize. If you end up in the sort of five to eight range, uh, I, I think Will Smith, uh, when I do my draft grades after the upcoming draft, he'll probably be the, the pick that I'm fondest of. Uh, I think he's no secret anymore. That's not to say that he's going to slip very far. Uh, scouts are in love with the skill level. Um, but he's, he's, he'd probably be the guy and he plays center has always played center and, and will be a center at the next level. So, uh, I actually wonder whether him not being on the world junior team, where I think he was quite capable, even as an underager of, of producing and being a top player for that team USA. I wonder whether that will, uh, do a service if you will, for, uh, for the team that gets him, if he's to to fall a couple of spots lower or doesn't get the same limelight as some of the other guys um, who were participating in the World Juniors, so I'm a big big fan of Will Smith, and that would be my guy. And really, you, that is not uh, that's a if, if that's your worst case scenario, that's a a pretty good outcome. That's the perfect answer I was looking for, Scott. Appreciate it. Um, and just one quick other one, uh, Kent Johnson at center. Have you have been had a, a chance to watch and, and what do you think? Yeah, I have had a chance to watch. I've always had uh, mixed feelings about about Kent at center. Uh, certainly this the strength. I mean, Portsy could tell you this, but the 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 wiry frame is always going to make it hard for him to be a, a great player along the wall, just in terms of board battles. But I do think he play makes so well from the perimeter. Uh, in saying that, the, the more you can have the puck in that kid's hands, the better. And certainly centers by proxy, uh, even though teams really play pretty fluid with all three of their forwards these days, centers still do end up with more touches and getting more involved and having the puck on their stick a little bit more. And uh, he's been been great at that at lower levels. He played a little bit of center at Michigan, not a ton, but was certainly a center in the BCHL and was magic down the middle at that level. Obviously a much different level, but uh, I'm intrigued. I'll, I'll be interested to see where he ends up. They they went through the same thing with Trevor Zegras in Anaheim, where they sort of bounced him around, played him on the wing, played him at center. And I, I'm still not sure uh, that, that Anaheim knows what Trevor Zegras is going to be long-term either. So I'll be fascinated to see where both of those kids in particular land because they've got a pretty unique quality with the puck on their stick in terms of playmaking. Uh, and they're also, neither of them are the biggest, strongest kids either. But uh, I do think our, our sort of perceptions of what a center has to look like are slowly, slowly, slowly starting to change. And that increasingly you're going to see guys like that uh, down the, down the middle a little bit more often. Yeah. He's, he's been, he's been fine. They're, you know, to Scott's, point when 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 the play is sort of disjointed is when he's at its his best it's the yeah. sort of the classically center requirements the face-offs the the two eight defensive play and the the puck battles those are those are a challenge 
for him. And, and prob maybe you're going to be a challenge for him, um, no matter how. Because he every time you see the kid, he's got a protein shake with him. It's not like he's not trying. Yeah. Um, he just the, I'm insanely jealous of people like this. He cannot put on the weight. Um, he's trying. He's just his metabolism is just freaking cranking. Yeah. Um, and it may be a couple of years before he fills out. Um, but it, you know, they, they tried it. They, he's only there now, honestly, because Jenner is hurt because Ross Levick has been in and out because Cole Sillinger has really struggled, struggled. here. Yeah. Um, so is in, in this year is a God, if you're ever going to try some stuff out this month, this is the year let's, let's go do it now. Cause there's a, it's a whole opportunity to, to be creative here as, as they suffer through the season. Um, Scott, thanks so much for this. I appreciate it. Um, tell us the uh, sort of the benchmark dates for some of your your big uh, milestone pieces as the season moves along here. You said early February for the prospects. Yeah, so I'm I'm currently in the mix of my prospect pool rankings. I think we're we're three days into it now. Uh, good news for for Jackets fans is that they're not they're not right around the corner like they maybe were a few years ago. So right. you'll have to. You'll have to wait a little bit while longer, thanks to Yurichek and Matejchek and Dume and Kuhlmans and Delbel Blues and all those guys. So uh, that's the good news. They'll they'll they're still a couple of weeks away at least. And uh, once the once those are done, I'll be jumping right into my my midseason prospect pool or, or midseason NHL draft ranking for 2023. Uh, and then I'm uh, I got a kid coming in mid February. So once oh. all of that's done, I'll be I'll be off for a few weeks. Hopefully, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, and just a, a question. When, when you you have been known to get some phone calls from teams that feel as though their prospect pools are <laughs> sorely underrated by by yours truly, um, do you ever get a phone call from the people at the top that say, Wheels, thanks for speaking well of our prospects. Top three, that's great. Really appreciate it. No, it is it is funny how that works. I'll get I might get a text or a Twitter DM from from a scout or an AGM or a director of scouting or whoever yeah. uh, if if I say nice things about about their prospects. But the 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 phone calls are t- typically exclusive for uh, the, t- <laughs> right. the teams the teams in the bottom five. Right, and they don't read it either, do they? I, I don't read it, but people tell me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my favorite. That, that, that is the best. Oh, really? Then how did you know? Yeah, um, I. Yeah, it's part of the job. Amen. Amen. All in a day's work. Uh, Scott Wheeler, The Athletic, thanks so much for, for being with us. Truly appreciate it. And look forward to talking to you down the line. I, I already can't wait for this draft. Uh, but I'm a draft nerd uh, myself. I absolutely love it. So thanks for thanks for shining a light on, on the uh, Blue Jackets prospects and for looking ahead with us a bit to the, the 23 draft. Really appreciate it. No problem. And uh, Montreal to Nashville isn't a bad back-to-back either for our purposes. So, Yeah, yeah. We already made plans today to drive down. So good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. And uh, folks, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll be back with you again, front and nationwide. I thought this worked out pretty well. It's really the first guest we've had on a live room chat. So tell me what you think. Twitter messages, uh, whatever, comments on, on athletic stories, however you want to weigh in. Um, maybe we can start doing more guests like this. It worked out pretty well. Thanks for all your questions. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Have a good day. Take care.